But you turn with me your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 18 and 19 this morning. Uh, but I'm going to begin reading at verse 12 and go all the way to verse 6 of chapter 4 to set the context for us. Actually, I changed my mind. We're going to read at verse 1. So it's a lot, but it's good to have this before our hearts and minds uh, what the Christian life must look like and what it must look like uh, in the home. And so we'll begin reading at verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3, all the way to chapter 4, verse 6. Begin reading at verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts the Lord. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men. When that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ." But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time, that your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, they may know how you ought to answer each one. Amen. Well, let us pray. Our gracious God, we ask and pray that our families in our midst would be God-fearing. We ask and pray that families in our midst would be a forbearing and forgiving family, and one that is built on that firm foundation of being found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess so often we fail in marriage. We so often fail as spouses do. 
And we pray that you'd forgive us for our failures, forgive us for not uh, living according to the order that you set forth at creation and not living according to the commandment that you've given us in your word. And so we ask that we would be a people, all of us would be a people that are kind and loving, a people that are yielding, people doing what is pleasing uh, to end the Lord at sight of you. So help us to do this, we ask by your spirit, help us to do this according to your word, and please forgive us for all our failures when it comes to uh, the, uh, the realm of marriage. And we ask that today would be a day where we're edified, a day where uh, we're uplifted, a day where we're challenged, and we know that we need your spirit to help us with this, and we pray that in all things you would be glorified, and we pray these things in the name of Christ, amen. Well, as you probably all know, the problem of divorce is rampant in our society, and it's also a problem uh, in the church as well. And while I believe there are legitimate biblical reasons for divorce, many of them are illegitimate and for selfish reasons. One observation I've made over the past several, several years, and I don't know if this was happening when I was younger, I just wasn't paying attention, but one thing I've noticed over the past several years is that many young couples, including Christians, are divorcing only after a short time of marriage. So divorce is a problem. Divorce is a serious thing, and it is disturbing to observe many young people, including Christians, divorcing after such a short time of marriage. Now, again, I don't know all the reasons for why. That is their business. But it makes passages like Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, and Colossians 3 all the more important. For the home is where we practice and cultivate the character of the new man. Paul's practical application thus far has been general. We must all put to death the former things. We must all put off anger, wrath, malice, etc. We must all put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, being forgiving and forbearing with one another. And then he takes all that and is now applying it specifically to the home specifically to marriages, specifically to parents and children, and then also in the realm of masters and bondservants. And today we're going to look at verses 18 and 19, which focuses in on marriage, wives and husbands. And the problem I think is very clear when husbands and wives don't fulfill their roles consistently. We're not asking for perfection. No spouse is going to be perfect on this side of heaven, but we're seeking to uh, honor God in all that we do. And there is a problem when spouses don't do it in a consistent way. When wives do not submit, when wives try to rule the roost, when wives are full of pride and selfishness that they will not yield to their husband. There's also the other side when husbands do not love, when husbands are embittered, when husbands are tyrannical, and on the flip side, when husbands are passive and wimps in the house, uh, in their household. Again, we're not looking for perfection, but if we are in Christ, we put on the new man, we can do these things that God has commanded uh, in his word. And so in Colossians 3, verses 18 and 19, Paul gives specific commands for how spouses can live in light of their identity in Christ. And he addresses each party uh, 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 with respect to the various relationships in the home. So today we're looking at wives and husbands, and those are my two points. A wife who submits, verse 18, and secondly, a husband who loves, in verse 19. So a wife who submits and a husband who loves. 
So let's first look at a wife who submits in verse 18. And again, we see the command to submit in verse 18. Uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And again, the context is all about the heavenly life, all about the life where we seek the things that are above where Christ is. How then does that manifest? Where then, where, uh, where then do we cultivate that heavenly life in this world? Well, it's in the home. What's interesting is in evangelicalism, they often promote the heavenly life as one of grand experiences. I had this great night of worship and everything felt good. And I came to the front and I was laying on the floor and everything was wonderful. I was slain in the spirit. That's the experience that one seeks. Or perhaps if I go off to another part of the world and engage in missionary work, then everything's going to be wonderful. That's the heavenly life that I ought to live. Well, Paul says something very different, doesn't he? Not everybody's going to be a pastor. Not everybody's going to be a missionary, but not everybody is necessarily going to get married, but a lot more people get married than become pastors. And the place where one can cultivate and where one can nurture their heavenly life is in the mundane, is in the everyday, is in the life that God has given, is in interacting with one to whom God has given to you. Now, I do have a bit of a warning For those that are not married, please do not tune out what I'm saying today. Certainly, we all must be humble and all must be yielding and all must be loving. So certainly, there is much application for you as well. And if you're wishing to be married and you long to be married, here's what you look for. And here's how you start to live now. Be that person uh, that that, that would be desirable. Be that person that would be one who exhibits these traits that we see in verses 18 and 19. Proverbs 21, 9 says, better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Prepare beforehand. If you're a contentious woman now, do your best by God's grace not to be contentious. Or for the man's side, uh, perhaps a proverb that I like to use is better to love than lost than to live with that feckless wimp forever. That is, if you're a passive man, if you're not a strong man, well, you need to develop that now. Be one, not a tyrant. We don't want that, but these are things we must cultivate now. And so certainly, what again, if you're looking for uh, to be married, here's what you can be and here's what you ought to look forward to. Broad shoulders, and outward raiment is not necessarily bad, but you need to look for these traits. We can work on broad shoulders. We can w- we'll work on some of those things, but there's some things you cannot teach. And so look for these things when you look for a spouse. So let's dive in then. The command specific, verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, the addressee is very clear. He's talking about a relationship, a marriage relationship between one man and one, uh, one woman God gave marriage for this world as a blessed gift, not just for Christians, but for all. That is, I would be happy as a pastor to marry two Christians, but I'd also be happy to marry two non-Christians. I will never marry a non-Christian and a Christian, but God gave marriage for this world to be a blessing and to be enjoyed. And there we see even at the, the first cre- at the creation with that first marriage, we see then the roles of each uh, partner in that relationship. I'll get to that in just a second. But we see here, the wife is addressed first. And he says to her, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So the assumption here is he's speaking to believing wives. Here's how then you ought to live as a believing wife. Submit 
to your husband. Now, feminists everywhere are having a cow right now with me saying that. They don't like the idea of submission. They don't like, they don't like that word. They view it as slavery. They view it as not being free. That's a subtle work of the devil, isn't it? I mean, the devil never kind of works and sort of, he does prowl around like a roaring lion, but he, he likes to highlight the bad things a lot of the time, right? Well, if you're submitting, you're going to be subject. You're going not, you're not going to be free. But we're going to see some of the good things about that very thing, about submitting and subjection and what that means. So submission is not slavery, but a willing yielding of yourself for the good of your husband. It is not slavery, but a willing yielding of yourself for the good of your husband. And what's interesting is in Ephesians 5.22, before he tells the wife to submit, he says, husbands and wives must submit to one another. Then he goes on to explain what that is, what that yielding looks like. Now, the marriage, the first marriage in Genesis 2, gives us the marriage order. The husband who has been given a task and the wife who is called what? The helpmate, the helper. The man has his task. And the woman must support him in that very thing. Again, feminists are not going to like this sermon. Feminists are not going to like uh, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3. But there is an order that has been given at creation. And God has said that the woman helps the man. And that's uh, uh, according to Genesis chapter 2. And so Davenant says this idea of submission starts with an eternal act of the heart. God says you must submit. God says that your husband is your head, not that you're inferior in being, but we see the roles that God has given. You must have that theology and that truth in your mind first, so then it can proceed to an outward manifestation of those things. It's an acknowledgement in her mind that her husband is her head. God has given him a task, and the wife must help him in that task, and the husband must, then we'll talk about the husband in just a minute, but he must love her, she must submit to him. And how does that manifest? Well, throughout the centuries, and theologians and commentators are helpful in this, they talk about how wives primarily are part of, are to take care of the domestic matters, and take care for the children. This is in Titus chapter 2. Again, when you want to know what your Christian service is and Christian life is, in Titus 2, talking about what, how sound doctrine manifests in the life of the people of God, he talks about what women ought to do, what men ought to do, what young men ought to do, what young women ought to do, but he talks about women. Verse 3, the older women of Titus 2, likewise, be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they, they might admonish the young women to love their husbands. So even wives still must love their husbands, but we're honing in on the problems that happen in marriage for each spouse. And the struggle for women is to submit. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But he says, love your husbands, love your children, be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. God has said that women must submit to their own husbands. Now, I don't necessarily think this means women can't have a job. I'm not quite, I don't quite go that far. Uh, but certainly the primary place for a woman is in the home. 
And so if she has a job that is affecting that, then the things must be reconsidered. I understand we live in Vancouver, where it costs three fingers to buy a house and probably one hand to be, you know, for mortgage, I don't know, or to mortgage insurance, whatever. It just costs a lot to live here. And so I understand that very thing. But the primary place is for a woman. You see in Proverbs 31, she is an enterprising lady. She buys a vineyard, does she not? And she grows grapes. She has wool. She's an enterprising type of lady. So I'm not necessarily against that very thing, but the primary place uh, is in the home, domestic matters and care of the children to help the man do what he's supposed to do. So the man doesn't have to worry about those domestic matters. Again, that doesn't mean a man can't do the dishes, okay? Men can't go, hey, honey, you have to do the dishes. No, we need to yield and love and that sort of thing. But the primary place is in uh, for the woman in the household. So submission, yielding, and notice to whom she must yield, to your own husbands. This highlights the exclusive relationship that marriage is. Other than our relationship with the Lord, it is the most important one. The parent-child relationship is important, but the spouse relationship is more important than that. And that's why it requires work. It requires patience. It requires forbearance. It requires long-suffering. And God has given us a design for it that we might flourish in it. You see, the way for it to flourish is founded in God's design. It requires work. It requires yielding. It requires humility. But there's good things that can come about uh, from it. And notice, submit to your own husbands. Ladies, your man takes priority in your life. You shouldn't be worried about what other men think. Your primary purpose is what your husband thinks. You must, your dress, your speech, your calling must be for him. You must not belittle, you must not slander, you must not emasculate, you must let him lead. That's hard sometimes, isn't it, ladies? To let him lead, to yield, and just to say, hey, I might not get everything, but you're the one who's been tasked with this, and to yield to him. That is what God has called you to do, to submit to your own husbands. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. This is a command of God. And also notice the reason why, as is fitting in the Lord. And it it goes with verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. Here's how you do that. Submit to your husband. And the implication there is one is a believing wife submitting to her husband. Is it as is fitting? That is to do the right thing according to what God has said. If you are Christ and you seek to do all in his name, this is one of those areas. Now, it also gives us a boundary, as is fitting in the Lord. That is, you must honor Christ uh, uh, as you serve your husband. You honor Christ by serving your husband in that way, but also gives a boundary. Your husband cannot tell you to sin. Your husband cannot say, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the head. You must do these things against the word. No, that's not what he's saying. Davenant says the life, the wife is bound to her husband to be a companion and help in prosperity and adversity. That's one thing that needs to be drilled home in our modern context, right? The adversity part of things. Marriage is hard. 
marriage is difficult, especially that first year, because there's this huge change that happens. You've had this one life for what, 20, 30 years, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a new one you got to adjust to. It requires patience, forbearance, and long suffering. It requires work, but it's sickness and in health, for better or for worse. And once you get married, there's no mulligan. I understand that there's uh, that, that there's there's legitimate reasons for divorce, but there are many illegitimate reasons for divorce. And when marriage is hard, it's not a reason to leave that marriage. So in prosperity and adversity, in all household duties, but in no manner in sin. So the husband cannot tell you to sin, but in all things lawful, one a spouse must submit to him. And Peter also speaks about this in further detail. Uh, what's interesting is I used to be of the opinion when feminists get all mad at Ephesians 5, I used to be like, well, look, the husband has this long list of all things that he has to do, right? Because Ephesians 5, the husband gets longer airtime. But in 1 Peter 3, the wife gets way more airtime. And in Colossians 3, they get equal airtime. So it's just equal airtime. So you want it to be equal women. Uh, there you go. It's all equal in God's word. 1 Peter 3, uh, we see Peter speak to this very thing about how a wife can adorn, even with one who is an unbeliever. He says that she must submit to him, even if some do not obey the word, that without the word they may, may be won by the conduct of their wives when observing their conduct. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Notice merely, certainly we need to be modest, we need to be chaste, that sort of thing, but it's not wrong to dress nice uh, for your husband, verse 4. But rather let it be of more importance the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Her conduct and how she treats him is of far more importance than what she wears. And to go back to Colossians 3, everything we've said the past two weeks applies. Put on Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, put off, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And how do you do that? You yield and submit to your husband, adorning yourself with a kind and gentle spirit. Now, why does Paul say all this? Certainly because it is a command, and the Bible tells us so. But I also love how God knows the struggles that we have. And this is a struggle for all women since the fall. Genesis chapter 3, God warns the woman after she has fallen and after she's eaten the fruit and gave, and gave some to Adam. God does say to her that her desire will be for her husband. And what that means is there's a similar word used in Genesis 4 talking about sin ready to encroach is that she's going to be ready to encroach on her husband. She's going to have this desire to usurp her husband. And we've seen at the fall, there is this reversal of the created order, right? God made male and female equal in being. I understand. I fully defend that. And we're going to see that a little bit more with 1 Peter 3. But he gave roles. Man is the head, then the lady, and then they you know, uh, subdue. Our man subdues. The woman helps him subdue creature. What happens with the fall? Serpent. 
woman, man. It just reverses that created order. And ever since that created order, women just love to usurp. I'm sorry to say it like that, but it's just the reality of the fallen present evil age. Feminism isn't surprising, is it? It shouldn't be that surprising. It's devastating, but it is not surprising because of what is said in Genesis 3. There is nothing new under the sun. Wives must submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That is the clear application. Hopefully that's clear. Uh, certainly there are two reasons I want to highlight why. A, it's divine appointment. God cre- it's a creation ordinance, and it's a new creation command. Uh, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3. But also uh, davenance, and, and it must be done regardless of how the husband acts. That's hard, right? Just like the husband must love, regardless of whether or not the wife submits. That is the hardest thing. I'm not saying we don't call out sin. I'm not saying we don't deal with things. But notice he does not say, wives, submit to your own husbands if he loves. It says, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's tough. Davenant says, um, let her remember that the dignity of her husband and her own inferiority, don't freak out, just in roles, is not to be estimated from virtues, figures, nobility, or riches, but from the divine ordination alone. Creation ordinance, new creation command. But the reason number two why a wife must submit to her husband is it's from God's goodness toward you. It's a sign of his divine good. You see, God's ways are good. And if you seek to follow his ways here, will there not be peace in your home? If you try to usurp, if you act with anger and malice and belittle and tear down, will that be a place of peace or a place of strife and despair? You see, if we seek to do what God says and consider the other person other than ourselves, then our homes will be hopefully be homes filled with peace. If we only are ever concerned with ourselves, we will never seek to do the good of the other person in whatever circumstance we are in, whether it's in prosperity, whether it's in adversity. If we're only concerned about ourselves, that marriage is destined to fail. I'm sorry to say that. God is gracious. There's forgiveness and mercy. But if we're only ever concerned about ourselves, and let's be honest, we are often concerned about ourselves, which is why we need forgiveness. But if we're only ever concerned about ourselves and never grow and never change and never learn, uh, then a lot of sadness shall come from that. Proverbs 31, woman, he does say, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubles. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So you'll have no lack or gain. It goes on to explain all these things that she does. And then in verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. If a woman yields, there is goodness. If a woman submits, there is freedom in the Lord. As Davenant says, they who shake off the yoke of due subjection are blind to their own interest. For the old adage is true, obedience is the mother of prosperity. And if you yield to your husband, yield to to what he has to do, yield to him in things lawful, 
the home will be much more peaceful than if you do not. So that is a wife who submits. Husbands, your turn. A husband who loves, verse 19. And again, he's dealing with the issues that each party typically struggles with. Not saying that there isn't reversal of that sometimes. Yeah, husbands, uh, wives don't love their husbands, but they ought to. But he's dealing with the primary issues that they struggle with. And so here, husbands, love your wife and do not be bitter towards them. That is, one must not be a tyrant as the head, but a gracious head and leader. And notice it's in the command to love. We've seen the command to love in 314. How do we bring about peace in the church? By loving. How do we bring about peace in the home? By loving. And how it unites all these uh, uh, virtues together in verses 12 and 13. It is love. He says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And there are many other places in the Bible that speak about what love is. Patience, kindness, does not envy, does not boast, is not self-seeking. Perhaps as we see in Ephesians 5, you know, the comparison is, you know, the, the, the wife or the bride is, is the church and the bridegroom is Christ. What does Christ do for his church? He dies for her. He sacrifices for her. He gives his life up for her. We see that in Ephesians 5. In 1 Peter 3, again, it all highlights, and as we'll see with the word embitter, he is not supposed to be a tyrant. Hey, I'm the head. You need to do whatever, everything exactly as I say it. That's not how he's supposed to function. In chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verse 7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. That is, he has the, uh, the understanding. He has the duty to teach her about God. He has the duty to teach her and lead her when it, when it comes to life. He has the duty to provide for her. He must not treat her with neglect. That's probably what understanding is. Dwell with them with understanding. He goes on to explain further what that understanding is. Giving honor to the wife. Not lording over them, but giving honor to them, like we see in Proverbs 31. The, the, the husband is praising her. There's a mutual respect, but the husbands need respect and the wives need love. And so the husband must understand these very things. And notice, as the weaker vessel, I'm really sorry, ladies. I know we live in a modern, the modern times that we live in, and we can say, everyone says you can do everything that a man can do. I'm sorry to say you're just weaker physically. That's not slighting you. That doesn't mean you're terrible people, but you're just weaker physically. And the man has to get this, understand that. The man has to recognize that as he leads them. The man has to be strong, but he also has to be tender. I love what uh, Gil quotes uh, saying from the Jews, and I thought it was great. If the wife be short of stature, bow thyself and whisper to her. Don't lord over her. Recognize who she is. Recognize how she has been created and comfort and encourage her. And uh, 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 comfort and encourage her. So I think 1 Peter 3 is very helpful. 1 Peter 3 also tells us that wives are co-heirs with Christ. I mean, verse 7 says that, that they're, they're equal when it comes to our status before God most high. 
It also teaches that we must pray together. The word uh, you're there in verse three is plural. The implication is that husbands and wives are praying together, that your prayers may not be hindered. If you're not considering who she is, if you're not leading her, if she's not adorning, those prayers are going to be filled with strife. That home is going to be filled with strife. And so certainly it's not just that our prayers are hindered to God, but the prayers that we do together are going to be hindered because of the, the, the barrier in that relationship. But in any case, 1 Peter 3 teaches us she's weaker, but she's a co-heir with Christ. She's weaker, but we must pray together and lead her in such a way. And so certainly the summary of all this with Genesis 2 helps us as well here. The man must be that vice regent we see. Adam is that vice regent, the one who uh, uh, is fruitful and multiplies, the one who engages in enterprise, uh, provides for his spouse in temporal things, food clothing, shelter. The husband must do that. The husband must give himself to do that for his spouse. But of similar or more importance, the spiritual necessity, the spiritual leading. All husbands must lead their spouses in this way. See, the problem in our modern times isn't just feminism, it's feckless men. One of my favorite words in all of life is the word feckless. It means wimp. I love to say it a lot. And most of the time, we men are very feckless. We're emasculated. We feel down. We don't recognize the authority that God has given to us and asserting that in a proper yet not domineering way. And not all men are going to be preachers, but all men must lead their families. You can't say, I can't do theology. You can't say, I don't have time. You must do this. And I think about men of old. It's very hard really to compare ourselves to other generations, but we do it. So I'm going to do it again. John Patton was a uh, missionary to the, uh, the, 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 the cannibals in the New Hebrides, which is Vanuatu uh, today. He always talked about his father. And James was a stocking framer. And they worked 12 to 16 hours a day. Yet he still found, found time to pray with his family and for his family. You see, you think with our modern technology, we could like streamline more things so that we have more time. Most of the time, it's not that we don't have enough time, so we don't make the time. We always make time for the things we want to make time for. And if we are to put to death all those things, if we are to put on, if the Christian life is one of hard work, the one of, of, of cultivation, watching, praying, and fighting, how much more in the marriage? Should there not be work? Should there not be cultivation? Should a husband not seek to grow in these things? He must provide for her physically, uh, affectionately. Husbands must provide also emotionally to understand and know the emotional state of his wife and children. Remember listening to Albert Martin on parenting. I'm not done his 40 things series yet. I started and then I stopped. But in any case, uh, he talks about how the husband is the one who needs to be concerned about the children and understand the, 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 the climate of the home and make decisions based on that. He talks about how there needs to be warmth, closeness, harmony, and goodwill. And that starts first of all with the marriage and then hopefully is cultivated in the, with the children as well. You see, that it has to be, it's something that is the husband's primary task. A lot of men will say, I'm not emotional. I'm not in touch with my, you know, emo eh, biblical affections and biblical emotions you must be in touch with 
and recognize when there's problems and situations in one's house. I mean, I don't know what Song of Solomon means, dear brethren. I really don't. There's a lot of ink spilled on what Song of Solomon means, but one view is it's the affection of the husband and the wife. Should we not have that affection cultivated in our families and in our marriages? Should that not be something that we grow in? And it starts with the husband. And as we're going to see, he's not supposed to be embittered towards her. Davenant says, he is delighted with her presence and company. He suffers himself to be torn from her for any long time, only by necessary causes, and thinks himself to be cast elsewhere and to be thrown hither and thither, but at home with his wife to rest as in a wished for haven. May husbands provide temporally, spiritually, and emotionally for their families. So that's how a husband can love his wife and your wife, not anyone else's wife, but your wife, the wife that God has given to you. And then also notice what the, the, the command, uh, the second command in verse 19, and do not be bitter. Now, the word itself is used literally in a, well, I guess used, uh, uh, used figuratively in Revelation 8 and Revelation 10 to talk about the wormwood that comes out. Uh, it talks about how this wormwood, this bitterness, I think you all understand what bitterness means and how the proud John eats the scroll and becomes bitter in his stomach in Revelation 10. But it's used here in a figurative, metaphorical way to cause bitter feelings in an effective sense. That is to be bitter towards them. Husbands can be, become bitter. Husbands can become embittered toward their spouse. And perhaps what it does mean is it's used in other uh, Greco-Roman literature to refer to being a tyrant. So it's the idea of not loving them and being bitter towards them, but also being a tyrant over them. That is that there is that tendency again, weak men, but sometimes there are tyrannical men. That is the problem on both sides. You see how the Christian life is hard and we need every strength of God to help us in this. I mean, we can't be wimps, man, and we can't be tyrannical. We need to be somewhere in between. We need to be strong and provide for our family and defend our family. But we also need to be tender towards our family as well. We must not be embittered towards them. We must not be tyrannical towards them. We must recognize that they are co-heirs with Christ and also created in his image. Again, the creation ordinance is in view and how that applies for new creation people as we live in this present evil age. So don't be bitter, dear men. Why does he say all this? Well, again, he's highlighting the problems that the man struggles with, passivity or tyranny. And we must seek God's grace and help to make sure we are somewhere in the middle, godly, strong leaders of our families and certainly things like nintendo do not help i always like to say nintendo too in a sermon it's just fun to say men i can't make a blanket statement that you should never play nintendo but you should really dial back the nintendo when you get married <laughs> i'm serious when i say that there are i've heard stories of situations where the husband just comes home and plays nintendo all day no cultivation in the household that is not right dear brethren Men must lead their families, just like a woman, wife must submit, the husband must love and must not be embittered towards her. And if we could summarize everything that the husband and wife must do, 
it requires humility, doesn't it? Chrysostom has a very probing quote, at least I thought so, you might disagree. He says, do not therefore, because thy wife is subject to thee, act the despot. Don't be the tyrant just because she is subject to you. Nor, because thy husband loves you, be thou puffed up. Don't think, wow, he loves me. Of course he does. Think, wow, he loves me. Or, wow, she submits to me, not she's going to submit. You understand what he is saying there. Humility is required in all facets of life, and humility is required in the marriage realm as well. That's why it's practical, not just for the marriage realm, but for all of life. We are all called to be humble. We are all called to put on tender mercies. We are all called to be kind to one another. And so husbands, the application I hope is clear. Love and don't be embittered with your wife. And again, it's divine appointment. All of these are commands that you must do. You cannot say as a Christian, I'm not very loving. I'm not very emotional. I'm not very smart theologically. She's mean. No, you have to love her. Just like a wife cannot say he's a jerk. You must submit to him or he's not doing his role. And we can deal with that if he's not doing his role, but you must yield to him. Now, again, the second reason is the same with the wife. It is for the divine good of the family. If the roles are functioning properly, that marriage and that home is going to be a face, a place filled with peace, is it not? If they're seeking to care for one another, will that place not be a place of love? Now, I do agree that the spouse, the wife must submit regardless of what the husband does, and the husband must love regardless of what the wife does. But if a wife is yielding, Wouldn't that make her more lovable? Or if a husband is loving, wouldn't that make him easy to yield to? So the hope is that if one engages in their task properly, it may, as Peter says, win the other person in that way. It is hard. It is difficult. I understand that. Marriages are so very hard and difficult, and they require work. They are the most important relationship you have and they should require other than your relationship with the lord the most amount of attention and if i may it requires a firm foundation being in christ very much helps forbearance and forgiveness we have to understand that too right that no spouse is perfect and we must be yielding forbearing and willing to forgive that's why verse 13 applies to the marriage realm and the and the parenting realm and the uh, the 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 business realm as well that is if anyone has a complaint even as christ forgive you gave you so you must also do marriage is hard marriage is difficult here's what god has said but know that you need to forgive and forbear with that person whom god has given to you and if I may say, my marriage counseling and premarital counseling really isn't rocket science, by the way. <laughs> it's basically this. <laughs> it's basically what it said here. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Again, the command is so very clear, yet we're so very, very poor at doing what God has 
said. And if I may say as well, if you are a young couple or any couple, to be honest with you, but I'm thinking of those couples who divorced in their first one, two years, if you're in your first year of marriage and it's very hard, don't be afraid to ask for help. Seek counseling, seek help before things get worse. There is no shame in that very thing because this is the most important relationship outside your relationship with Christ. Marriage is hard, a lot of blessings, but a lot of adjustments and a lot of grace and strength is needed as well. Now, as far as a gospel call here today, I do believe marriage is a gift for this creation, but it also resembles something about Christ. We see that in Ephesians chapter 5. We see how Christ is the head, Christ is the husband, and the church is the bride. And what does Christ do for his bride? He dies for her. They may present her spotless and without blame. And if even if you're a male, you can say that you are the bride of Christ. And we think about the bride for whom Christ died for. Think about how unlovely we once were. Yet Christ died for the ungodly. He forgives you. He forgives me. And if you've been part of a failed marriage or you're struggling in your role in your marriage, there's forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're an unbeliever, that's the beauty of what Christ has done. That he died for his church, that he might forgive her of all of her sins. And if you believe on her, you shall be part of the bride of Christ, because he is the one who gave himself for his people. And we'll close with stanza one of hymn 270. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven, he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her, and for her life, he died. Let us pray. Our gracious God, thank you for the work of Christ, who is the bridegroom. Thank you that he is the one who gave himself for the bride and died for her, that we might present it spotless and without blame before you on that day. And we pray that as there are marriages in this church Uh, We pray that we would each fulfill our role in those various marriages in a way that is pleasing unto you. Please forgive us for your failures in this. We pray that wives would submit to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands would love their wives and not become embittered with them. We pray that our homes would be homes of peace, our homes would be homes of Christ, Uh, that we would know our roles and seek and endeavor to do them in a way that is pleasing unto you. Again, please forgive us for our failures with all of this. We pray for those who desire a good thing to be married. We pray that you would help them uh, cultivate now how they must act and what they must be as wives or husbands. And we pray that you'd help them as they look for suitable wives or uh, 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 husbands as well. They might know what to look for. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that your ways are good for the way of the sinner is hard. But thank you that in your life, oh God, there uh, in your ways, there is peace and prosperity and happiness. And thank you that that ultimately comes in Christ Jesus. So we pray in our church, we would have strong homes, strong marriages, strong families uh, that we might honor and glorify you as redeemed saints. 
So be with those who do who are struggling. Please uplift them and encourage them in this area. We pray that you would cultivate in them uh, in this area. Help us to cultivate uh, all these things that we have seen this day that we might honor and glorify you. And we pray if there are any here today who do not know you, we pray that you would save their souls. So we pray in all things you would be glorified. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.